for the this is for the audio visual people. One, two, three. <laughs> Action. All right. So just the other day, my phone rang, and it was a number I didn't recognise. I thought, oh, what do you do? Like it could be important, but it could be spam. It could be a scam. It rang. It rang. Finally. I took a deep breath and I took the call. And I'm glad I did because it was from someone I knew and it was important. But these days, we don't talk anymore. Like, who calls anymore? So whenever the landline rings at home, I say to my wife, they'll be your mum. And she goes, no, 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 they'll be your mum. I go, no, no, it'll be your mum. And she goes, no, it'll be your mum. Because who calls anymore? Because these days, we don't know how to talk. We have the lost art of conversation and we don't know how to talk about important things and we certainly don't know how to talk about God anymore. We either shout or we don't talk at all. But that's all right because God talks to us. And one of the most important ways that he talks to us is by sending his son, Jesus. Now, I got this photo off the internet. It's not Jesus. But I think if Jesus was around today, this is what he would look like. It would be a short, tanned, nondescript, Middle Eastern male walking around the countryside of Palestine speaking Aramaic and Hebrew. And I'm just waiting for the day when, because I've got this photo off the internet, I'm just waiting for the day when someone turns up and says, hey, that's my photo. And I get to say, hey, it's Jesus. Jesus really did come again. How about that? So God talks to us by sending his son, Jesus. And what we're going to do for my four talks is we're going to look at stories in the Bible where Jesus talks to someone and we're going to ask these questions. What is Jesus saying to this person and what is Jesus saying to me today? And today our question is this, what would Jesus say to the isolated and lonely? And we've just had a long Bible reading from John 4 where Jesus meets a woman at the well. And she's a complex character because this woman is a foreigner. She's a Samaritan. She's of another religion and she sneaks out in the middle of the day to draw water like you and I might sneak out for a cigarette and she's isolated and lonely. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? And the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So this woman comes to the world to draw water. Jesus starts talking to her, and he commits a cultural and social faux pas, like it's a fail on so many levels. Earlier last year, I went to Indonesia to, as part of Compassion to visit our Compassion child and we went to a church service in Indonesia and it was an amazing service. People on their feet, they were singing, they were worshipping, they were clapping, they were dancing, they were swaying. It was so amazing that I decided to video the church service, video the worshipping, and I uploaded it onto social media. And when you upload something on a social media, 
there are three waves of comments that come. The first wave will always be approving. Yes, this is wonderful, awesome, amazing. How good to see. And then there will be a butt moment. The tide will turn. And you start getting the second wave of comments where they start hating and dissing what you've posted. And can you see the problem? What's wrong with a the photo there? What's wrong with the video? It's only women. And so Pearl starts saying, where are the men? Typical, lazy, stay-at-home, good-for-nothing, making the women do all the work. Men are hopeless. And so the second wave of comments come, hating and dissing. And of course, then there's another butt moment, and it's a third wave of comments, where they, the comments start going, hang on, hang on, I'm pretty sure in Indonesia... The women sit on one side of the church and the men sit on the other side of the church. I think Sam is sitting in the wrong side of the church. (laughs) And so the comments start going, oh, how hopeless is Sam? And so now the comments start hating and dissing on me because I had committed a social, religious, cultural fail. And Jesus does the same thing. He is a man... She's a woman. He's a Jew. She's a Samaritan. He's of high social standing. She's of low social standing. He should not be talking to her. So why does he talk to her? Because he has three things he wants to say to her and three things he's saying to us today. The first thing is this. It's okay to get tired. Verse 6. Jacob's well was there and Jesus tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. This is my favourite verse in the whole Bible because it shows that the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, also got tired and had to sit down. I love my mobile phone. I love what mobile phones have done for me. They've given us autonomy, freedom and mobility But my mobile phone has also got me addicted to PowerPoints. So whenever I walk into a room, the first thing I'm doing is I'm scanning, scanning, scanning. Where are the PowerPoints? Where are the PowerPoints? And just the other day, I went into a coffee shop and I scored it. Yes, the table with a seat right next to the PowerPoint and I plugged in my phone immediately. But then a little while later, another man comes and he comes over and he wants to share the PowerPoint with me. And he also wants me to move over so he can share the seat with me. And I thought, I don't know what the social etiquette is here. But I said, no, you cannot share my seat and you cannot share my PowerPoint. And I'm sure even the good Samaritan in the Bible would not have shared his PowerPoint. Because the PowerPoint is a basic human need. And sleep and rest are basic human need. So Jesus has to sit down, he's tired, he's thirsty, he needs water and he's peopled out. He says, you know what, to the disciples, you guys go ahead, you do the shopping, I'm just going to stay here by myself. It's a basic human need. This is Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we learned in high school, we learned in university. As we can see, before we can fulfill self-actualization, we need esteem. Before we can fulfill esteem, we need love and belonging. 
before we get love and belonging, we need to look after safety. And before safety, we need to look after physiological needs. And you can't see it there, but in the small print, physiological needs are three things. Food, water, and sleep. And that's a new thing. They've only put sleep in there in that Maslow hierarchy of needs in the last five or ten years. When I learned in high school and university, they didn't have sleep in there. In other words, bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs is sleep. I went to a parenting seminar and they taught us about the peak performance pyramid of parenting. And it said before you worry about the physiology, before you worry about the psychology, before you worry about the wisdom, before you even worry about techniques of parenting, you need to get the bottom thing right, which is sleep. Before you can perform, we need sleep. It's a basic human need. And as Christians, we need to hear this because as Christians, we're always busy, 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 busy going places because somehow in our Christian culture, we've confused busyness with holiness and holiness with busyness as if by being busy, God will be pleased. By being busy, I'll be holy. And to be holy, I need to be busy. And so we pack our church calendars. We need to be busy as a church. We want our pastors to be busy. What are we paying them for? We want our youth to be busy. Otherwise, they'll get into trouble. We want our church program to be busy, 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 busy. I used to teach at a Bible college once. We would have this college mission where students would go off to a church and do a week of mission. And I remember our principal used to fire us up before college mission and say, now we want to be busy. But Jesus says, you know what? We also need to sit down, have a drink, and have a rest. It's okay to get tired. The Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, also got tired. The second thing that Jesus says is this. It's okay to admit our brokenness. It's okay to admit our brokenness. Verse 16, Jesus told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband What you have just said is quite true. What is Jesus doing here? Now, typically when we hear this, that this woman has had five husbands and now the man she's living with is not her husband, if we've had a Western religious upbringing, what we're hearing is this. She's been married five times. She's left her husband's five times and now she's living with a man that she's not even married with. That's what we're hearing. But I've done some reading on this, and apparently if you're brought up in Africa or you're from a Middle Eastern tradition, you're hearing this instead. This woman has been married five times. Five times her husbands have abandoned her and deserted her, and now the man she's living with won't even do her the dignity of marrying her. Instead, he's using her for sex, companionship and housework, but won't even give her the security and status of a married woman. In other words, she's not a lawbreaker. She's someone who's broken. She's not someone who's been sinning. She's someone who's been sinned 
are against. And Jesus gets her to admit her brokenness. Now, as you heard earlier in the three pictures, a few years ago I took up martial arts. And part of martial arts and boxing is you have to pit, hit, punch a pad, boom, 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 over and over and over again. You have to hit that bag, the pad, boom, 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 over and over and over and over again. And after I did it so much that I weakened my biceps tendon so much that boom, it snapped. It snapped right off the bone. I had to get repaired surgically. And that's when one of the surgeons I worked with said, you know, the rate of injury in men over 35 who resume or take up a new activity is 100%. You're better off just staying at home. So I was living proof of that. But it's not just taking up a new activity. It's resuming an old activity as well. So I have a friend. We went through Bible college together. We used to play rugby together. And after I thought, you know what? I've still got it. Everyone's still got one more good game in them. And so, so he signed up for rugby again. And sure enough, first game, he broke his ankle. And a broken bone, a broken tendon, a broken muscle is actually nature's own feedback mechanism. It's nature's wake-up call. You are not the person you think you are. Something is broken. And Jesus gets this woman to admit her brokenness. It's the wake-up call. It's the feedback mechanism from God that you are not the person you need to be. And she's broken in at least two areas in her life. And the first area that she's broken is this. She's isolated. She's lonely. She's disconnected. She comes in the middle of the day so that she doesn't have to meet anyone. People don't want to see her, but she doesn't want to see anyone either. She's disconnected. She's isolated and lonely. And Australians today are isolated and lonely. This is from the Vice online magazine just lately, and they found this. A loneliness survey finds Australians are very, very, very lonely. 60% of Australians today say they are lonely. 80% of Australians say loneliness is a problem in Australia. We are disconnected. This is Sebastian Junger in his book Tribe. And he says that in traditional cultures, we have a tribe, we have a home, we have belonging. But in modern Western societies, we have no tribe, we have no home, we have no belonging. And that's why we have sky-high rates in the West of anxiety, depression and post-traumatic stress disorder because we have no tribe, we have no, no belonging, we are disconnected. This is George Monbiot in The Guardian just last year. The age of loneliness is killing us. And he quotes a well-known Harvard study that says loneliness now in the West is our latest health epidemic. Loneliness is as likely to kill us as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Loneliness loneliness kill us uh, twice as likely to kill us as obesity. It is the latest health epidemic. So something is not working in our Western individualistic society because as a Western individualistic society, we've been told to disconnect ourselves from others. We've been told to disconnect ourselves from tradition. We've been told to disconnect ourselves from God. 
but it's not working. This woman is isolated and lonely and so too are we. And then the second area where she's broken is this. She has shame in her life. But now in Australia, we too have a culture of shame. In the West, we have a culture of shame. This is John Ronson, TED speaker, author. His book just came out. So you have been publicly shamed. The West has moved into a shame culture. David Brooks, writing in the New York Times, talks about how we have entered a shame culture, which is really interesting that we have entered a shame culture in the West because this is what's happened in the West in the last 100 to 200 years. We got told in the West that there's no such thing as guilt. There's no such thing as guilt. That's just an arbitrary social religious construct that's imposed upon you to make you feel bad. There's no such thing as guilt. You do whatever you want. Uh, there's no right. There's no wrong. And then we got told there's no God. So you can do whatever you want. But instead, we've entered a shame culture now instead. And a shame culture is much more harsh than a guilt culture. Because in a guilt culture, you could pay a penalty. You could find forgiveness. In a shame culture, there is no forgiveness. And at least when we used to believe in a God, there was a God who could forgive us. But now there is no God. There's no God who can forgive us. And we can't forgive ourselves. That doesn't work. Forgiveness needs an external reference point. And we can't ask society to forgive us because as we're finding out, society is very, very unforgiving. But Jesus enters his world. He gets her to admit her brokenness because he's trying to say, hey, I can forgive you. With me, I can heal you, I can restore you, I can honour you, and I can lift you up. The third thing that Jesus says to this woman and, and that he says to us is this. We are thirsty for Jesus. Just, a few, uh, just last year, I entered my third midlife crisis. Oh, sorry, I should go through this one first. Verse 13. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. The water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So just last year, I entered my third midlife crisis and I bought myself a motorbike. And just to be safe, I got a high-vis vest and I started wearing it. And my wife said to me, don't wear the high-vis vest. It looks very uncool. And I said, no, no, but it, it's safe. It's a safe thing to do. And she said, if it was about safety, why'd you buy the motorbike in the first place? And I'm like, oh, I hate it when they use logic like that. But why, why did I buy the motorbike? Because it promises freedom adventure and status. It will make my neighbours envy me. It will make my wife proud of me. And it will make my kids just look up to me. So the motorbike promises all those things. But you're sitting there, oh, come on. It's just a motorbike. It's convenient, yes. Uh, it gets you from point A to point B, yes. But if you think it's going to be your freedom, your adventure, your status, it's going to disappoint you. And more than that, 
it will destroy you and I won't live up to those expectations. But we do that with everything in life. Like water is a basic human need. It hydrates you. We have to drink it when we're thirsty. But then we make so much more of water than what it is. We make it a sports drink. And we look to it for power, ambition, success. But you go, oh, come on, come on. It is just water. Yes, it will hydrate you. Yes, it will satisfy your thirst. Yes, it's a basic human need. But if you think this will give you identity, status, success, power and ambition, I think it's going to disappoint you and you will fail and it will fail. And we do this with everything in life. We do it with our relationships. Relationships, love and belonging, a basic human need, but then we ask more from our relationships and what our relationships can, can give us. We want this relationship to be the power relationship, the power couple, the trophy relationship, the trophy partner. And so the relationship has to be all about aesthetics. We have to be Instagram worthy. And, and it's about, again, freedom, adventure, status, success. And again, you've got to say, well, if you're wanting your relationship to do that, you're going to destroy the relationship, you're going to destroy the other person, and you're going to destroy yourself because it can never deliver what you're asking it to deliver. And Jesus says to this woman, it's great you've come here to draw water, like it's a basic human need. I'm thirsty, can I have a drink? You're thirsty, have a drink. But that's all it is. It's water. You drink it and you will thirst again. That's all it can do for you. But Jesus says, come to me, and I will fill your deeper thirst. I will fill your thirst for forgiveness, for love, for belonging, for identity, for status, and for security. And Jesus will give you eternal life. I will give you a filled life, a full life, a fulfilled life in this life, and the life to come. So what does Jesus say to the isolated and lonely? Today we've heard him say three things. Number one, it's okay to get tired. It's okay to need to fill our thirst with water and to need rest. It's a basic human need. But secondly, he's asked us to confront, to admit our own brokenness. We can't climb out of the hole until we realise we're down in a hole. But thirdly, he promises us eternal life, a full life, a filled life, a fulfilled life in this life and the life to come. Many years ago, I went to a wedding and I sat next to a guy and we started talking and he told me he was a lawyer. And he said for his whole life, he wanted to be a lawyer. He studied hard, he got into law school. And he says he's travelled the world and his whole life, for his whole life, he's travelled the world and now he's travelled the world. He said recently he's just bought property. And for his whole life, he's wanted to own property and now he's bought property. Then he looked at me and said, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You know what? I thought I saw in front of me a man thirsty for Jesus. So you and I are thirsty for Jesus, whether we know it or not. And we're trying to Fill that thirst with other good things, basic things, but we'll stay thirsty because those things are not Jesus. I have another friend called Spiro, and Spiro was into finance and investments, 
and he made so much money in his 20s that he could just travel the world in his 30s. While he was traveling, someone told him about Jesus. And so Spiro, in his 30s, decided to give his life to Jesus, to love, trust, follow, and worship Jesus. And Spiro tells me that every now and then he meets these Christians who say they've been Christians for as long as they can remember. And Spiro says, do you know what I think when I meet Christians like that who say they've been Christians for as long as they can remember? I too wish I could have known Jesus for as long as I can remember. I would give up everything, all the money I made in my 20s, if only I could have known Jesus earlier. Because Jesus fulfills us. He gives us a full life, a full life in this life and the life to come. So you and I are thirsty for Jesus, whether we know or not. And we can fill that thirst with other good things, other basic things, but we stay thirsty for Jesus because those things are not Jesus. And Jesus says to this woman, and he says to us today, that he will fill that thirst for Jesus because he's a son of God and he'll give us a full life, a filled life and a fulfilled life in this life and the life to come. Now, I forgot to say that I'm which I have just done, and all the other talks is we're going to have 10 minutes of question time from you guys. So now, ask me. How I can whisper. All right. Um, thank you for that, um, first talk, Sam. I, by the way, I think you're our first Asian speaker. Is that true? <laughs> Woo! <laughs> but funnily enough, I turned to my husband, who's, who's white Australian, and I said, I reckon he's our most ochre one, though. <laughs> so, um, on your second point, it's sure. okay to admit our brokenness. I, um, I wholeheartedly agree with this. But I was just wondering, it seems nowadays the Christian church, especially in Australia anyway, seems so keen to tell other people about their brokenness mm. rather than really admitting our own. If we look at you know, the child sex abuse scandals, even domestic violence within the church... It's definitely why I feel a lot of non-Christians look at us and they go, well, you guys are hypocrites. So what do you think the model is there that Jesus shows us? Mm. All right. Um, It is interesting that the biggest sin, so when we read the synoptics like Matthew, Mark and Luke, the biggest sin that Jesus calls out are the sins in the... Where do I even begin? So so I've just got a hundred thoughts. Okay. Okay, let's go. Okay, so, yeah, I, I agree. So the big thing that happens in the synoptics is a big sin in the synoptics is that the religious people are guilty of self-righteousness. So not of breaking a law, not of rebelling, but of being self-righteous. So the big one is that parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector where the Pharisee prays and says, thank you, God. And I love the prayers. Dear God, I thank you. I'm not like other people. Uh, and he says, I don't kill I don't, you know, cheat on my taxes. I don't cheat on my wife. I'm generous with my money. I basically he's saying I give to the tax deductible and the non-tax deductible charities. I I fast twice a day, which would be saying I go to both Sunday services, the traditional and the contemporary one. And you say, what? That's an amazing prayer. Like I wish I could pray that prayer. I go to church twice on Sundays. I'm generous with my money. I haven't cheated on my wife. I go to all my kids' soccer games. That's his prayer. It's a good prayer. 
and he's guilty of self-righteousness. So that's the sin that Jesus calls out the most in the synoptics, the sin of self-righteousness. And I, yeah, I agree. Like Jesus says, you know, before you point out the speck in your brother's eye, see the log in your own eye. So I think part of evangelism, part of before someone can see the guilt and sin in their life, they've got to see us being humble and exposing the sin and guilt in our life first. So I think we have to role model being humble. We have to role model admitting sinfulness. We have to role model asking for forgiveness. But instead, we seem to think evangelism is, we've got it right, you've got it wrong, so you need to repent and you need to become like us. And that's a, even that's not what we're saying, that's what they're hearing. Really, what we need to do is, you know, we're, we're sinful, we're broken. Like Paul says, I'm the worst of sinners, but I found forgiveness, and maybe you can too. And I'm not saying I'm a better person. If anything, I'm a worse person than you. But I found forgiveness, and you can too. And I think we see our message that way. Right? We got it right, which is what they're hearing. You got it wrong. You need to be like us. Then, and I agree. I agree. And I think that's the model that Jesus uses in the Bible. So what's interesting is, yeah, so it's just in the Old Testament and the New Testament, God is the most. He calls out the sins of those who are church who have the Bible who should have known better. And I think maybe that's what we can role model as well. Yes. Hi, Sam. I just want to go back with the loneliness question. Sure. Because, um, so you talked about how Australians are very, very lonely, and that's a scientific, oh, that's a, from a survey, so it's not just people talking. So it's just, it, it is fact. And then there's also, um, you said how loneliness kills people, more people than obesity and chain smoking. Well, not chain smoking, just smoking. 15 cigarettes a day. 15 cigarettes a day, yeah, that's a lot. Um, yeah, something's not working in our mm. Western individualist society. And also, we are being told to disconnect with society, ourselves, God, and, all, and like disconnect with everything. And also the shame culture, which you mentioned, because there's no God, there's no forgiveness, so people are constantly, you know, constantly just beating themselves up, basically. So with that in mind, I'm actually not sure what my, que- what my question is, but I'm just thinking, how do we get here and why? If, if this thing, you know, loneliness and all that disconnect, especially in Australia and other Western countries, if it's really, really bad, why did we choose to go there in the first place? Is it of our own choice or is that forced upon us by society or other people? It's um, a product of what's called Western individualism. And so if you read someone like Jonathan Haidt, Jonathan Haidt is a Jewish atheist, secular philosopher, but he's put out significant books called The Righteous Mind, The Happiness Hypothesis and The Coddling of the American Mind. Um, he points out how right now in the West we're, we're weird, W-E-I-R-D, we're Western, we're egalitarian, we're individualistic, we're rich and we're democratic. And th- this is an outlier. Like in the history of human civilization, this is off the charts. Like we are so weird, we're so egalitarian, we're so individualistic. This has never happened before in like human civilization. So what individualism gives you is freedom. 
so the opposite of individualism is collectivism or tribalism, and they both got good and bad features. So the problem was, so we are who we are because of Western individualism. Western individualism says, okay, my parents grew up in China, but I can grow up in Australia. Western individualism says my parents were a baker, but I choose to be an engineer. I don't want to do what my dad did. I want to do what I want to do, and I want to do what makes me happy. So that's individualism. So the freedom and the autonomy to make choices for ourselves. And so you see that struggle, you know, when you come to Asian Australian cultures. So in Western individualism, when someone gets married, whose day is it? It's the bride's day. In Asian cultures, when someone gets married, whose day is it? It's a parent's day. It's their graduation ceremony. Everyone's congratulating them. And that's why you get married. You think, I don't recognise two-thirds of this room. And these aren't my friends. These are my parents' friends. You know, when you go to Western careers advisor and they say, well, what, what should I do? They say, well, what do you want to do? If you go to an Asian careers advisor, they say, well, what do your parents want you to do? All right, so that's Western individualism. You get to do whatever makes you happy. But the problem with that is once you have pure freedom, pure autonomy, you, well, you also lose responsibility and accountability, which at first sounds great. Now I'm not responsible for anyone. I don't have to look after my parents. I don't have to look after this guy. I'm not accountable. I can do whatever makes me happy. But this, this is where it sent us because we have no responsibility, no accountability. We have no tribe. We have no home. We have no belonging. So then we have no one to share our burdens. And that's why we have a high rate of stress, anxiety and PTSD compared to other cultures. So when they say, if you had to be born any time on this planet, it will be now. And yet somehow we're more miserable than we've ever been before. So part of it is we chose freedom uh, and we got rid of responsibility, we got rid of accountability, but because of that we also lost love, belonging, tribe and a home. Okay, thank you. Uh, we've run out of time, we can catch up for uh, okay. uh, We'll continue on with the singing and we certainly got more time at afternoon tea to morning tea to talk to Sam as well. Thank you. Thanks, Sam.